Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 48, recorded Sunday, December 20th, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Happy holidays, everyone, and thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerpino. Well, it's certainly getting to look a lot like Christmas around here. Uh, on Wednesday night into Thursday morning, we had about a foot of snowfall here in Connecticut, and uh, we were pretty lucky, however, because I found out from a friend that lives up in Ludlow, Vermont, that they got a whopping 40 inches of snow up there. That's uh, quite a bit, and I'm sure it'll be around for Christmas. Also, as I, as I was getting things ready for today's show, I realized that this will be the final episode of 2020. I'm pretty sure we are all ready to put this year behind us and look to the new year with a lot of hope and optimism. With the vaccine for the coronavirus uh, now being given, things are definitely looking up. We just need to keep our guard up for a little while longer. In the last episode, I featured Aruba in your Next Dive segment. When I talked about the ABC Islands being independent countries of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, I misspoke a bit. One of our divers, Sarah, who actually has a place down in Bonaire, reached out to let me know that Bonaire is not an independent country, but is what they call a special municipality within the Netherlands. Aruba and Curaçao are actually constituent countries. Thanks, Sarah, for keeping me on the level, and thanks for listening. Hope you and Deb are able to make it back down there soon. We missed our trip in October, and we were disappointed. Someday, I'll make it down to Bonaire. On today's show, I'm only going to have two segments to wrap up the year. I'll continue to talk a little more about the environment and climate change with a discussion on geoengineering, and then we'll take another trip back in our history of scuba diving by looking at another one of the five early U.S. scuba equipment manufacturers, Decor. So let's get started. If you've been listening to Scuba Shack Radio, you'll know that I believe that climate change is happening. I believe it is what many have labeled an existential threat. Well, maybe not in the literal definition of existential, in that that would mean that it would wipe out all of humanity, but it will be devastating if it's not addressed. Interestingly, there was an article last March on grist.org by Shannon Osaka and Kate Yoder titled, Climate Change is a Catastrophe, but Is It an Existential Threat? Just some food for thought. Now that brings me to today's subject on climate change, geoengineering. A couple of weeks ago, an article popped up on one of my news feeds. 
That article was from The Week magazine, and it was in their science section. This article asked, Should scientists artificially cool the planet to stave off climate catastrophe? And it introduced me with geoengineering. Let's start by defining geoengineering. Well, it refers to a large-scale schemes for intervention in the Earth's ocean, soil, and atmosphere with the aim of reducing the effects of climate change. Well, that seems pretty encouraging. Actually, the idea has been uh, for geoengineering has been around for quite a while. I did a little more research into the history, and it started way back in the earliest 20th century. In the article, there was a reference to a proposal made in the 1960s that they would float golf balls or golf ball-like objects in the ocean, and that would reflect the sunlight so it wouldn't heat the water. Can you imagine putting billions of these objects out there? Sounds like a solution that could have been a real problem uh, from a plastic pollution standpoint, because I'm guessing back in the 60s, these things might have been some sort of plastic. In my further research into geoengineering, I took a look at Harvard's geoengineering research program. Now, Harvard breaks down geoengineering into two broad categories. First, there is carbon geoengineering, and that's focused on carbon dioxide removal, or CDR for short. And then the other category is solar geoengineering, and that centers on solar radiation management, or SRN. As we look a little further into solar radiation management, we can turn our attention to why we think it could work. In the week's article, they referenced the 1991 massive eruption of Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. This eruption spewed an enormous amount of volcanic ash into the atmosphere, and it spread around the globe. As a result, over the next two years, the Earth's temperature dropped 0.6 degrees Celsius. Pretty amazing. So what are some of the options that we could use to create a similar phenomenon? The article suggests that a fleet of aircraft could deploy either sulfite aerosols or diamond dust into the atmosphere, causing a similar effect as Mount Punatubo. It did not discuss exactly how long this would last, but it did sound like it would be a while, at least enough to start cooling the planet. Another option is to pump salt water from the ocean into the air to create a marine cloud. They started doing some trials of this over the Great Barrier Reef back in March, and they say it could take about a thousand nozzles to cover the entire reef. According to Dr. Douglas McMartin from Cornell University, he states that we're 100% certain we can cool the planet. While not everyone is convinced that solar radiation management is good, there are fears of ripple effects because of the climate's interconnectedness. We could be causing side effects like monsoons in some areas or droughts in others. The other concern is that if we do cool the earth artificially, we may not have the will to curb emissions. And that's where carbon dioxide removal, or CDR, can come in. How do we suck all the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere? 
Perhaps the Mega Maid from the movie Spaceballs with the vacuum cleaner isn't all that far-fetched. Well, Stripe Climate, and they're part of the Stripe credit card processing company, contributes a fraction of their revenues to to fund frontier carbon removal technologies. One of these solutions is Carbon Cure, and that's where they take CO2 out of the air and they inject it into fresh concrete, and that's where it's stored while it improves the concrete's compressive strength. They also invest in several other interesting carbon dioxide remover capabilities. There's another organization out there called Silver Linings, and they are funding about $3 million in safe climate research. Silver Linings is a nonprofit organization out of Washington, D.C., with a goal of ensuring that society has sufficient options to address near-term climate risks. As I mentioned earlier, however, there are hurdles to overcome with respect to geoengineering. There was a proposed experiment in Tucson that was blocked because they didn't want to send a balloon up into the atmosphere and deploy chalk dust as part of solar radiation management. People aren't convinced it's safe or effective. With all this going on, I'm encouraged about the U.S. getting back on board with uh, the climate change initiatives. And, you know, it looks like time is running out for us. And we need to use all the tools at our disposal to battle climate change. Hopefully, geoengineering, if done properly, is one of the weapons in that fight. When you own a dive shop, people routinely either stop by or call us to see if we're interested in buying their old scuba gear, or they have equipment that they used many years ago and want to try to get back into diving and wonder if we can service it. Well, that's a whole different discussion than where I want to go today. Many times, the gear that they bring in is from Decor one of the original five U.S. manufacturers of scuba diving equipment in the United States. We've already covered two of those five here on Scuba Shack Radio, Voigt and Healthways. And I'll get to the other two, Swim Master and U.S. Divers, down the road. Today, we're going to talk about Decor. The Davidson Corporation was founded in 1953 by Samuel Davidson, Jr., Sam took the DA from Davidson and the COR from Corporation and put them together to form Decor. I read somewhere online that Sam patented the name and it even gave the patent number 3.128.481. Well, I tried to find that specific patent and couldn't find that where he patented the name, but that number came up with something called a safety float that was submitted by Samuel Davidson Jr., filed in 1961. So interesting. So how did Sam Davidson get interested in scuba diving? Well, Sam, like Richard Klein, who started Healthways, was also in the United States Marine Corps. During World War II, 
he was stationed on Guam, and it said that he had gotten a hold of some Japanese goggles and started to explore underwater. After the war, his interest in exploring underwater continued. Back then, getting reliable scuba equipment wasn't easy. So Sam hooked up with an old neighborhood friend named Bob Olson, and they decided to build their own double-hose regulator. Well, somewhere along the way, a buyer from Montgomery Ward department store chain found out about the regulator and purchased 10. Later, they upped it to 300. Sam had a business. He borrowed $10,000 from his mother and got rolling. By 1955, Decor was producing what they called their dial-a-breath double-hose regulator. Sam, along with another engineer, Wally Mitchell, continued to work on regulator development, along with other scuba diving equipment. From my review of the old Decor catalogs, it looks like they didn't introduce their first single-hose regulator, the Decor Dart, until 1962, although they had developed it earlier. Some say four years before Sportsways introduced theirs. But as, as we have seen with Healthways and Dick Anderson's work, a lot of folks were innovating at this time. One of the ways I like to research these early manufacturers is to look at their old catalogs. The CG45 website has a lot of reference material along with these old catalogs. The earliest decor catalog that I was able to review was from 1961. That was the same year that Sea Hunt ended. The catalog was a whopping four pages long. It had their R3 double hose dial-a-breath regulator for $82, a complete single tank system for $144, and a double hose setup for or a doubles setup for $229. You could pay an extra $5 to get yellow tanks. The catalog had one mask, one snorkel, and one set of fins. By 1962, their line expanded with the D1 Decor Dart single hose regulator and a new R4 dial-a-breath double hose. Oh yeah, and remember that patented safety float? Well, it was in the 1962 catalog. Over the next couple of years, they continued to innovate with the Dart D2 and a Dart with a J-valve for 300 PSI reserve on the first stage. They also had the Clipper series double hose regulators, C2 and C3. By 1970, Decor came out with yet another new regulator line, the Olympic series with the 100, 200, 400, and 800. The last catalog I went through was from 1980, and Decor was touting 26 years of diving innovation. With a doubling of their space at their Northfield manufacturing headquarters and the installation of a hyperbaric chamber for regulator testing. Looks like 1980 was the year they introduced what they touted as a revolutionary regulator, their Decor Pacer Regulators. PACER is short for Positive Air-Controlled Equalizing Regulator. Claiming to have totally balanced first and second stages with a remarkable 0.05 inches of uh, water cracking pressure. Wow, that's pretty low. 
They say they harnessed the Venturi with something called Venturamatic. Something really innovation at this time was their microsurfic circuit dive computer. It looks like it took up most of your forearm, with indicators for deco, ascent rate, depth, time readouts, and more. It was quite a marvel for the time. Sam Davidson passed away in 1987, and Sam's wife, Joan, became CEO. By 1998, Joan sold Decor to Mares, and over time, the Decor name faded into our diving history. I did see a short article in a 2005 edition of Sport Diver, and it was from Mares, and they indicated that they could no longer get replacement parts for Decor regulators because the parts suppliers had destroyed their mold before they could move all of that to the Mare's uh, facility in Rapallo, Italy. So that's a little bit of the history of Sam Davison Jr., the Davidson Corporation, and Decor, one of the five original scuba equipment manufacturers in the United States. Well, that does it for today, and that does it for 2020 here at Scuba Shack Radio. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks. It will be a new year, and we have a lot to look forward to and a lot to get done. Until then, happy holidays, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.